good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance? Join the authors of Design to Change and explore this series of conversations with designers and event owners. Driven by the need and conversations with event owners and event designers who use the event canvas around the world, this series explores the depths of conversations to elevate your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Episodes are hosted by Rude Janssen, Rue Friesen, Dennis Lehrer, and Paul Rukens, with illustrious changemakers, designers, and pioneers in the field of design and beyond. To explore these conversations and additional content, visit designtochange.online. For now, let's start the conversation. Conversations. Here we go. Welcome. Uh, Panos Mutafis uh, is joining us from Austin in Texas. Welcome, Panos. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, Panos, you're the co-founder and CEO at Zenas. Right. And this is what people can see from you on LinkedIn. If they would click on the profile link that's below our podcast recording. Um, you are a PhD in computer sciences and you have been working in facial analysis for over a decade. And what you do is something that will, people will may have experienced, um, may have experienced but may not be aware of, or may experience in the very near future. Because this episode that we're talking about right now is also directly related to a trade show called IMAX that's upcoming in Frankfurt. Today is the 3rd of April, 2023, and that show is upcoming mid-May in Frankfurt in Germany. Uh, Panos, besides what people find out on LinkedIn about you, what is mm -hmm. it that they have will not be able to read on your LinkedIn profile that they need to know? Oof, on the personal level or the company level? <laughs> Up to you. <laughs> <laughs> so on the personal level, what they will not see is my love for motorcycles and chocolate. So people who ah. know me, <laughs> these, these are the two things that they don't know. And on the company level is that we, we, we have taken a lot of pain in order to do things right. So they can go on our website and they can see that we have three values, protecting people's privacy, doing things right and practicing radical honesty. And if you want to be true to these values, it comes with a pain, which means somebody comes with a request for servicing and activation and event in a way that doesn't align with its values. And you have to turn it down despite leaving money on the table. So that's something that I think most people don't realize that we do. And we do it very frequently, uh, almost on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's very, very important to, to point out. Excellent. Well, thanks. Thanks for that, Panos. And also, um, your Texan accent has a slight uh, <laughs> Greekness to it. Uh, <laughs> your name might also reveal that, right? Uh, tell us a little bit about that that background and how you how Austin came into the mix. You know, that's very funny because I have been living in Texas for 12 years now. And I'm always joking that minus the accent, I'm almost Texan at this point. Uh, <laughs> I came to Houston. Uh, in Texas, in the United States, in May 23rd, 2011, mm -hmm. to pursue my PhD uh, in computer science at the University of Houston. Mm -hmm. And since the first day I was working on computer vision, AI, machine learning, all of these technologies with an emphasis mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. face recognition and face analysis, and I'm distinguishing mm -hmm. these two a little bit, and mm -hmm. I will explain later why. 
Mm. And my goal was to be a professor, uh, a research faculty member. I wasn't planning on starting a company. But then the National Science Foundation in the US, they have a program called Innovation Corp. And what they are doing, they are taking some of the most promising technologies, researchers, and so forth. And they're giving you some seed funding and training, business training. And they say, mm-hmm. hey, you have been working on this. Go and see if it has commercialization potential. Mm-hmm. And, and I was part of this program. And it, it looked like there's a very big gap in the market. And there's a very big need in the market for these kind of technologies. And then we put together a team. And then we started iterating, 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 uh, like relentlessly until we get where we are today. And we will still continue iterating moving forward, but that's the short version of the story. Nice. Thank you for that background. Uh, fascinating how the fascination for science can also be flipped into something that is not just for the academics in the book and in the research papers, but something that can be used in daily use. And on that note, I'd like to ask you the question, which is the first question in the Design to Change book. A good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave that to chance? So maybe the answer is both. <laughs> I, I know before the call, I joked, I said I would say no, but, but the, <laughs> the reality is maybe it's a little bit of both. And let me explain why. Serendipity has its place. The way I ended up to the University of Houston to do my PhD was almost random. I was... I was back in Greece. I was doing my undergraduate in mathematics, statistics, and I came across one of my professors in the hallway Mm. and said, hey, Panos, I see you doing really well in your studies. What are you going to do with your life? I said, I don't know. I just want to have a lot of good impact. And Mm. he said, maybe you should do research because Mm. and technology, because whenever the society in the world has big problems, we always turn to technology for solutions. And, And this is what put me there. So if you think about it, it was a random conversation. So science has a big role to play into it. But on Mm -hmm. the other hand, you know, the saying that says the harder I work, the more lucky I get, which means that if you do things right and you create the right environment for these conversations to actually happen, then serendipity is not so random. It's a little bit more influenced by the decisions we make. So I would say a little bit of both. Yeah, I like that. And events are maybe the the most serendipitous planned encounters on the planet that you can imagine, right? Because people take an effort of carving out the time, planning to be in a specific place, um, spending the time, just like the listeners to this podcast are choosing to wherever they are, ping into this specific podcast and whatever channel they prefer to use. But we are sharing our conversation in just audio with them. And they are part of this conversation. It's probably not... No, it's not in real time because we are not sending this out live. We're bottling this up and they can determine when they unbottle the genie of this conversation. And um, thank you for taking the time to do that with us today. Um, I'm uh, fascinated and most of the listeners on this podcast, I think, will be obsessed by observing behavior because behavior change is the only thing that creates value at events. And if you are observing events as a designer, you want to really focus on what is that behavior change and how does that create value, right? And if it is in the desired direction of change that you and a team of people together have dreamt up in a collaborative way of designing, you know, in this case, uh, the practitioners in our community tend to use 
a tool called the Event Canvas. So they create the narrative ahead of time. They think about that stakeholder. They think about their stake. How do they come into the event? How do they go out of the event? And something happens in the middle. Now, something happens in the middle and you have developed a technology. And maybe that's interesting to look forward to. If people have never seen this, what will they experience when your technology is at work? So we have lots of different product lines uh, and different ways of thinking about the experience. Uh, before we go there, I want to, to, to make a couple of analogies or bring up a couple of different points. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one, I want to emphasize the, important, the importance of experiences moving forward. Mm -hmm. This is my personal opinion, and I might be completely wrong, but it looks like the way technology is progressing we're moving towards a, a, a future of abundance where in, in a few years, might be five years, might be 100 years. I don't know what is the, the time scale, but food, sourcing food will not be an issue. Sourcing energy will not be an issue. We will be living in, in, in a world of abundance. And then the experience is what will matter the most. We will be focusing the most on the genuine connections and experiences for people. Mm -hmm. So I, I think this is a space that is still growing, despite uh, despite people what people might think. I think it's growing and will grow even quicker moving forward as our lives mm -hmm. get easier in that aspect. Mm -hmm. the The second analogy I, I want to bring up is what we have experienced with digital marketing, digital experiences, like this one, like you you mentioned just now. So whenever you're doing any type of of online activities. Uh, podcast advertisements, uh, social media posts, it can be whatever. As, as a marketer, as, as a person trying to create more awareness about what you're doing, you, you always have metrics that go with it. Views, mm -hmm. clicks, likes, duration, uh, conversions, comments. You, you, you have a lot of data that you can get and you can get it. It's built in into almost everything, whether you use a website builder, whether you just use on your personal LinkedIn profile and you just post mm -hmm. something. It is very, very accessible. And, and this is the one thing that is missing, uh, at least in our opinion, to a great extent in in-person, below-the-line marketing type of marketing, where mm -hmm. it is much, much harder to quantify how many people came, what was their demographic background, you know, are they men, are they women, are they young, are they old, how long they stay, how they're feeling. All of this data is, is missing. So if you put you know, on the same table the digital marketer and the non-digital you know, offline marketer, they are playing at, at, at very, very different, at very, very different, with mm -hmm. a very different set of, of tools. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what we're looking to do, give, give balance the, the playing field a little bit more to have the same mm -hmm. types of tools and analytics for both. Mm -hmm. And and I want to say one more thing, if 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 I'm not talking too much already. So the one thing I want to bring up is that you know there's a very big spend in non-digital, you know, offline live activations because mm -hmm. everybody gets it how viable it is. Mm -hmm. The problem is putting our finger on it, being able to to, to quantify what mm -hmm. is I spend too much, I spend too little, and, and this is mm -hmm. where lies the problem, We're not being mm -hmm. able to measure. So I'll, I'll put a stop there to see if you have any follow-ups, but uh, yeah, I'm very excited about how about this uh, this field. I can tell. And um, as you as you progress through your own academic career, I'm sure that 
you must have visited your fair share of conferences or academic conferences over time, which is part of, you know, publishing and, and getting your work out there uh, of the research that you're doing. Um, and many of the academic conferences across the planet are doing very similar, repetitive, very institutionalized ways of doing their, their conferences. Um, I'm curious to know, before we dig into more of the behavioral analytics and you know, why is it so relevant to measure all of this stuff? Because I'm, I'm sure the business people would agree, right? That you measure things, they either get done or they will progress, or you can see deltas between the one or the other prototype. Um, but what is currently on your horizon of change? You as a person, what, what's currently on your horizon of change? If you look at the near future or the future, what's the next horizon of change you're looking at? So when you say on a personal level, you, you mean me as Panos, just to clarify? This could be business, personal, very often they're intermixed as well, right? And <laughs> you were saying you have a lot of upcoming travel, but if you're looking at the, let's say, at now in the next year, what's what's on your horizon of change? So on, on a personal level, so because we are in a growth mode and every year we are tripling, tripling our revenue, tripling our team size, it takes a lot of work on yourself on adjusting so quickly. It's every year it's like a different company, different different group of people, and it it's, it's it requires a very a lot of work and a lot of reflection to say you know mm -hmm. where did it go wrong, what can I learn, how can I improve, how can I go. It's 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 a different job every year in, in many ways. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. one. The, the the second thing of what is in 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 our roadmap is the culture and and how mm -hmm. can you instill these values on the company as a whole and to some extent this this ties to community and events mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. because events you have a conference it can be an academic conference can be something else you have a group of people with the same interest all coming together so how do you propagate the same ideals values and experiences in a way that you know uh, correct me if i'm wrong because you're better better educated on this than me but what i was saying since i was young not younger young is that people we want to be different enough to feel unique but we also want to belong to a group to feel safe and i think the balance that events should try to achieve is a, a very very good you know inclusion of people that they are unique and they have their differences and they have their own preferences but also catered to what makes us all bond together so yeah. I think that's something that we're looking to do more and more as a team, as a company, in our branding and everything else. Yeah, that's exciting because that the growth path you have and the culture that you mentioned, you know, the, the strong values that you um, probably as a founder live every day and strive for to have in your team to be lived in the same way. Um, I can relate to that being a challenge you have to work with on every single day and every single event that you attend, host, supply to work with. Um, and culture over time can also be measured as a behavior, right? So I think events are fantastic uh, petri dishes of culture, right? We have the saying in our organization, show me an organization's event and I'll tell you about their culture. Um, because the petri dish of the event is a little microcosm of what that organization does at that moment in time. Right. And um, the ability to then maybe even measure culture, would that be too much of a good thing if I would be looking at some of the stuff that you're working on? Or could you measure culture, do you think, Panos? So so I, I really love the question because it's pushing the boundaries a bit. And when I, when I was doing my studies, uh, 
I was telling one of my professors and I was telling her, hey, people are, are, are worried about what, what we do in our, in our line of business and in our work. Mm-hmm. And she told me, if people are not at least a little bit skeptical or afraid, you're not pushing the boundaries enough. Mm-hmm. Just make sure that you're doing it in a way which is ethical and it lets you sleep well, well, well at night and don't yeah. worry about anything else. Everything else is about education. Yeah. So talking a little bit more about what we do, at least what we do currently, mm-hmm. uh, so that mm-hmm. the audience that doesn't know, know us as well. Yeah. We, we have a technology that can detect and analyze faces. Mm-hmm. And this is different than face recognition because the goal when you do face recognition is to be able to identify, uniquely characterize a person and distinguish it from somebody else. Mm-hmm. Face analysis is a little bit more broad because when we look at a person's face, we can see more than who they are. We can see their age group. We can see their biological sex. We can see that there's actually a person sitting there, standing. How long are they standing? And then if you look at their facial expressions, and if you do that with a group of people or over a long period of time, you can start understanding how they experience things. So, so to some way, you can get some more information, maybe not the culture itself, like how are you going to measure protecting privacy like we do with, with mm-hmm. computer vision? It's, it's very, very hard. But mm-hmm. uh, you can use it as a tool to understand what activities or which presentations drew the most, most of the audience and they, they got them mm-hmm. to stay and enjoy it and had the positive uh, facial expressions. So you can use auxiliary, the, the information, the data in an auxiliary way for getting these insights. And going back, because we, we have spoken quite a bit about values and culture. Mm. Uh, and, and of course, I will speak a little bit about what we do, but I hope this is a more broad theme and example we are setting, is that you can't deploy the techno- technology in a way that, as we said, it doesn't identify an individual, it's not face recognition, there's not a database being kept with, with identities, nothing like that. But beyond that, there are some edge units, and I'm just showing it right now on the video. So for those of you who cannot see it, it's like mm-hmm. a very small Apple TV uh, box that mm-hmm. has a lot of processing power in it. And what it does, you know, you can take the camera and you can convert the physical environment into metadata without actually storing or transmitting any video. So it's not mm-hmm. like the traditional, you know, I take a, f- a picture or I snap a video for X seconds. No, it just sees what the sensor is looking at in the physical space and mm-hmm. instantly converts it to metadata. And once mm-hmm. you do that and you don't do face recognition, you just say, you know, from nine to 10, I saw 50 people, 20 men, 30 women, and there's no way to go and tie it to a specific individual. And that's a very, very safe way of deploying a technology that might worry some people, but with the right safeguards, it's, it's, it's very, very secure. That's interesting. So you're saying almost that, if I understand correctly, the the ability to observe almost like the human eye, right, um, and interpret in a flash second whether you know any of the things that you're saying, whether it's you know the the facial expression, the the activities that person is doing, the the, the biological uh, sex of someone, the age category, uh, all of these different denominators are mm-hmm. almost like scanned without recording the video, but actually extracting exactly. the data from it. Now, how does that help me? Cause I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, let's pretend all the people that are listening to this podcast are event designers that are observing behavior change, right? 
-hmm. Behavior change meaning maybe three core behavior changes per stakeholder from entry to exit of an event. Mm -hmm. um, these people are also moving in different spaces at different times, right? So they might not be in the same space all the time. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'm sure you get these questions all the time, but I'm, I'm fascinated. How would the delta between the entry behavior of somebody walking into the event and the exit behavior as the way they walk out and whatever happens in between, mm -hmm. how would you string that information together to make sense of the behavior change? Is that something you can do or is it just a whole set of data that are anonymized and not connected to one specific stakeholder group or one specific, uh, let's say, person? So the answer to both aspects is yes. So let's talk about the facial analysis only, which is entirely anonymous. When you go from camera to camera, it is impossible to say it is the same person. You just don't know that, period. Yeah. You don't know that. So it is entirely on a group level. But if you say, you know, we have the entry point, the exit point, and whatever, whatever happened in between. Mm -hmm. If you see that you have checkpoint A, B, and C, and you see that people stay longer on checkpoint A, but not so much on mm -hmm. checkpoint B. Mm -hmm. uh, and people on checkpoint C, they, they stay an average amount of time and they have very positive experiences. Then you start understanding a little bit more about what might be going on on site, that you, you know that there's something on the first checkpoint that makes people stop. And this is when you use, because by the way, nobody should ever claim that the technology itself should be the only source of information. There's always context. There's always human observation that has to complement the data, mm -hmm. but it makes it a little bit more objective. So it's one thing saying, I thought people were staying a long time in checkpoint A. And it's another thing saying, hey, we have recorded that this is the dwell time compared to the baseline and the other checkpoints. And we know from context that there we had, you know, we were giving out ice cream. We had somebody telling a story. We had uh, a, a presentation, whatever it is you get a context and then you start understanding what works and why by combining the human observations, the event design team and the data so that all together, all together tells the picture. Now, if somebody really wants to do the individual attendee level tracking, that is possible uh, by combining different technologies, but that requires consent ahead of time. So you can use computer vision to analyze faces and a new thing that uh, we have been working on and we have tested out and we have released and, and it's very, very cool in the way it works is, is like RFID, like Bluetooth, like all of these technologies. But instead of having all of these big sensors, hiding tags and so forth, yeah. we can scan the badge, the, the QR code on people's badges from a bigger distance. Again, when you have consent and everything else. And in this case, if you have specific checkpoints where people go and you know it might be gamified or anything like that, you can start understanding the individual journeys, individual check uh, dwell times, individual sentiment potentially, if you do it this way. But again, very, very clear and emphasize, you don't do this unless you have explicit consent. Yeah. If you don't have consent, uh, you can just do the group level uh, analytics. Yeah, that's interesting because that, that's almost at the crosshairs of um, when you go into the baseline analysis that we sometimes look at from an event design perspective, we actually ask the stakeholder to do their own ethnographic research in terms of what are the touch points that engage them and why they engage them. So it's almost self-reported 
mm -hmm. get, get, um, touch points looking at the outside world from the inside and your observations much more from the outside as to the total scope of what's happening in a space and harvesting that. Tell us a little bit about your collaboration with uh, the upcoming trade show at IMAX and um, how did that get to start? And I know we're going to be doing a panel session there with the team that is involved with the rebrand of IMAX. How do these things correlate? How do they fit together? So uh, it, it, it just happened. So initially we, we wanted to exhibit at IMAX Las Vegas. That was our goal. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when we spoke with the IMAX sales team and they found out more about what we are doing, they connected us with Oliver uh, Bailey, and then we could connect with Alex and some of the other, the rest of the team at IMAX. And they said, yeah. you know what? We want to be able to measure and we want to be able to understand. So it started as, as a test of does the technology work? Is it is it accurate? Is it useful? Is it reliable? How easy is can we deploy? Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, apparently the team liked it. Uh, because uh, it is being used again, and there was—I I cannot speak to the exact details uh, of what data was collected and from whom and performance—but uh, I do know that some of the sponsors got information about what is the impact that they had by exhibiting at IMAX, and that's very, very mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. And if if I may make a small parenthesis here, is how people are using the the data, which is the previous question. If you are responsible for managing the budget for sponsorships, and then you go back to report your leadership, like you, you, you need, you can say, "Oh, it was, it was a cool event. People loved it." Uh, that's one thing. And there's another thing saying, "Hey, we had 562 impressions from this to this time. They stayed this long in front of it. They were 30% happier compared with the average attendee across the event, and that's mm -hmm. why we're paying a premium." be sponsoring here that, that's a very different conversation to have with your leadership yeah. and, and we see that more and more from sponsors but we also see it from exhibitors where uh there is there are conversations especially right now in our economic times where do we need a bigger booth do we need a smaller booth do we need to do all of the events and this is where the the trade show managers responsible for the booth for the booth managers they will go to the leadership and say, hey, that's why we're spending this much money on the floor because we're getting this much traffic, exposure, brand awareness. And, and sometimes, you know, some events, they, they're consumer focused or they don't capture leads. So this is, they, they're completely blind in this case. But mm -hmm. even when you do have the leads, you capture 50 leads, you capture 60 leads. Is this a good or a bad thing? Mm -hmm. <laughs> where, do you, where do you rank compared with the average? How much traffic did you have? How many of them do you have existing customers coming over? Was it a good experience or, or did you just capture 50 leads and everybody was hating the experience? They were just getting scanned because a salesperson has to meet a goal to look good. Like all of these things they are missing and you don't have the full picture. And, and these are the things that you are capturing. And going back to IMAX, uh, these are some of the things that the team uh, wants to know in real time, which areas are doing well. For example, I, I would just make this up. Uh, you know, there, there are too many people in the buffet area, in, in the, you know, in, in the kitchen area. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Are, are they waiting and they're unhappy or are they just having a good time and engaging with each other? You need to have some information around this. And, and that's what you get. And then you say, you know what? Maybe the design of the space didn't bring us enough traffic in this area and we wanted to. So next year, let's try to create the flow a little bit differently. 
or maybe yeah. people were passing by here and they were not satisfied at all. Or, or you can start take all your assumptions you had before the event about the behavior of people and see what's true and what is not true. Yeah. Well, thanks for clarifying that. And and people will be able to experience this or see it. Or uh, I mean, give us a hint of the session that we're going to do on the Thursday at IMAX in Frankfurt <laughs> because that's going to be about you know on on the third day of the trade show, right? It's it's. Uh, mm -hmm. It's towards the end of the trade show. We're going to have we're going to talk a little bit about you know raising the curtain on on what this rebrand for IMEX means and how these kinds of resources and and tools are being used in practice. Um, mm -hmm. How much of this is 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 something you feel like the organizer, or the event owner, wants or needs to share, or how much is it that they keep it to themselves? Where's the line here? So, so this is up to the organizer themselves uh, on how they want to use it. Yeah. Uh, but personally, if you ask me uh, as Panos, I always like doing a combination of both because it's never all bad, it's never all good. So you can just say, this worked well and we have space for improvement in this area. Mm -hmm. and, and that's for me, if I put my my, my business hat of being an attendee, an attendee and an exhibitor at IMEX, then I'm going to say, hey, these guys knew that maybe they didn't do this or that well, but at least they're willing to receive the feedback, digest it, and make things better. So my attitude always is share enough data with all the good things that happened, but also, also the lessons learned, because mm -hmm. that's usually the best approach. And it creates trust. Like People get it that nothing is perfect. But most, most people get it, trying to hide it. I don't think that's good for anyone. And yeah. I think this is a good segue to talk about the limitations of what the technology cannot do. Yeah. Uh, and what the technology cannot do, it cannot read people's minds. It is not an all-in-one solution that will, you will just install it and then automatically you have all the insights. It takes work and a team, you know, a data analyst and a design team to go and have a process, structured process like A-B test and say, in this area, we're doing this. In the other area, we're doing the other thing. What works and why? And why doesn't it work? Uh, mm. This is something you can do. But again, you need the input. You need other sources to validate. You need the number, numbers. You cannot do it on an individual basis. And, and this is the one thing that we have really liked about the, the IMEX team is that they do have this uh, mindset of experimenting, testing, A-B testing, and giving, mm. trying new things. And uh, as we as we have discussed with them, right now we are maybe on stage two. So we did it once at, in Las Vegas. We're doing it again in Frankfurt. But then there is potential. I don't, I don't want to I don't want to put uh, words in anybody's mouth. But why not in the next event in Las Vegas or any of the future events? Why not take things to the next level? And by the next level, the way we are thinking about the technology is this. You have one, the insights of understanding behavior. That's the first level where you have design the space, design the experiment, you install the technology, you get data to understand the behavior of the people. That's level one. Hmm. On level two is influencing the experience of individuals and, and the audience. And this can come when you go from show to show by changing the layout and see what works and what doesn't work. But it can also be a little bit more real time. So... One example is the following. You see that the audience, the energy is dropping, even though at that point you would like them to be a little bit more excited. You can change the lighting. You can change the music. You can make an announcement. 
You can do things to create a response. And we do work with organizers that do that and very, very successfully so. So mm-hmm. this is influencing the, the experience of the people in real time in this way. You can do things, you know, I mentioned previously a technology that we have that it can scan the buds on, on a person's, uh, the QR code on a person's buds. Mm-hmm. And you can connect this with a display and then you can change the content in real time. So when you have a C-level executive going in front of the display, they see one content. When you have a VP, they see different content. That also creates a different experience, a more personalized experience. Mm-hmm. The third thing, the third level that we haven't seen anybody doing it yet, that's the only thing we haven't seen anybody doing yet, is predictive, being able to start mm-hmm. predicting behaviors and what will work and what will not work. Yeah. And going a bit beyond IMAX and events, in, in, in a way, we have been privileged enough to be working with airports, with retail stores, with all sorts of different, uh, you know, hotels. We have done hotels. We have done amusement parks. So you start seeing certain things working across, working across industries. And this is when you start start starting creating, you know, this next level of insights and reporting and thought leadership of these experiences work for that reason and that's best practice yeah i like that the the um, it likes and it also scares me when the predictive behavior modeling based on uh, metadata becomes the driving or becomes something that uh, comes to your uh, disposal right it's 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 one of the uh, contested spaces i think when we are using the collective capacity of, let's say, multiple brains. When we are designing events, we use a group of, let's say, seven people who each have their own prefrontal Mm -hmm. cortex, who each have their own set of experiences and know that if I do that with a group, then that's the likely outcome. And by correlating seven different brains, the likelihood of coming closer to the reality of what might happen uh, becomes much more um, uh, predictable, right? Or predictive, uh, to use Mm -hmm. your words. And uh, one of the states of wonder that I'm sure many of our listeners are in right now is, um, will, you know, will the predictive powers of these kinds of observations in real time be able to predict future behavior and almost like scenario modeling of future behaviors based on what you experience in the moment, right? And I think this is, this is one of the fascinating crossroads we're currently on, right, with not just the artificial intelligence powered by whatever is fed into the machine on the one hand, um if you um uh, follow some of the other podcast guests that we've had uh, the previous guest Sunil Malhotra um had a very interesting observation where a lot of the uh, AI and predictive modeling that's currently being generated is very western world driven predictive modeling um where the you know the thinking and 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 and, and the data sweeping that is happening is very much driven by a specific part of the of the human uh, spectrum Mm -hmm. Um, and i like this opportunity that you're describing because on an events basis you have a select group of people that are present in that moment in that space created for a specific purpose Uh, the ability to use predictive behavioral um, data in that respect to influence the experience not just in real time but maybe into the future Mm-hmm. might be a very interesting kind of support tool or something you could use as a predictive modeling tool for designers that use their human brain combined with this exactly. data-driven predictive powers. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's what, that's what I was going to say. It's, it's like a tool. You use it as a tool. 
and you have to be conscious about all the biases. By the way, uh, the one thing somebody asked me is AI biased? I said yes, and, and, and they were shocked. And I'm like, and my response was, who is not biased? Point me to one human being who is not biased. So we all have biases. Period. Exactly. The, the the thing is, do we recognize it? Are we working towards improving? Are we conscious about it? That's the most important thing. And mm -hmm. bias in by itself is not a necessarily bad thing. It's how our human brains have been built in order to filter information and be, be able to make decisions without getting overwhelmed. So there's yeah. a balance in, into it. And mm -hmm. when you when you talked about, you know, maybe Western versus other types of societies and having different cultures and so forth, this is where it, it is very important to understand that is what we talked about in the beginning. You know, events, there are spaces where you want to be have the same interests, but also be a bit different. It's equivalent to that. It's a bit equivalent mm -hmm. to that. And unless you have a tool to measure the differences, you might never know. Or and this is where you you have to be cautious, but also you have to understand the value. So it's it's a balance between the two. Absolutely. Well, uh, panels, thank you so much for enlightening us with this first snippet of what we will see in action uh, at IMAX in Frankfurt for those that are going in May. Um, I'm sure that you and your team will be very busy whilst you're on site, but also you're going to be in one of the panels that we're going to be having on the on the Thursday at IMAX. Uh, thank you for joining that and thank you for joining our podcast today. Um, I do have a request. Yes. And the request is the following, is that um, with your horizon of change that you mentioned for, you know, between now and maybe next year, uh, may we call upon you again a year from today to record the year plus one podcast to listen to Panos uh, Mutafis uh, in 2024, reflecting on the conversation we had today on the 3rd of April, 2023, and to see the Delta in your own behavior. <laughs> Let's do it. I think that, that's going to be a very good exper experiment to do. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll take you up on that. Uh, we're going to see each other next month in Frankfurt. Uh, we will be on that panel together. And then a year from today, roughly a year from today, we will have another conversation about this very thing. So thank you for being on stage with us today. Um, I'm going to play a little jingle and then we're going to see each other backstage uh, in just a moment for the backstage conversation. So stay tuned for that. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. This has been another episode of the Design to Change Designer Conversation Series. Explore these conversations and additional content at designtochange.online. Want more right now? Tune into the backstage episode of this conversation and hear what the experts discuss offstage.